It's the show the establishment warned you about. We are back at the headquarters for Echelon Health. I am your host, Dr. Tommy McElroy, America's free market doctor, and you're joining us on an excursion through um, through local, national news, and everything of uh, interest to us, which just by chance will be also interesting to you. And this is brought to you by Atlas MD, which is the preeminent medical software for membership medicine practices across the United States, including direct primary care and concierge medicine. And joining me again is our special guest, Dr. David Beefy. Hey, good evening or good afternoon it is. Suncoast Urology Specialist. Thanks for having me, Tommy. You're welcome. This is your day off. So thank you for coming in to join us and talk about all these uh, things that we have on the ballot here in Florida. We have amendments that are on the ballot. I also have a little uh, shot from across the uh, pond here from the uh, Telegraph, which is in London, or I'm sorry, in the UK. And this is a perhaps looking into our future if we persist down the um, single payer route, as some people would like. And then uh, we're also going to talk about uh, whatever. Well, I can't remember what else we talked about. One thing I did want to talk about is uh, what did you think? We didn't talk about this yet, but the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Wow. Let's just start real controversial, should we? Yeah. Yeah. I got into this with uh, a friend of mine was over at the house last night or uh, yesterday. And we haven't talked about it yet, so I don't no, know. No, but I was talking, you know, I was talking about it with uh, friends at, uh, at my home over the weekend, and it's a pretty heated topic. About what? Okay. So Brett Kavanaugh, Supreme Court Justice, um, what was the heat about? Well, effectively, um, you have one one faction of people that say if she said it, he did it. Okay. Okay. Did what? Well, uh, I've seen everything from rape, molest, intimidate, um, cause her a life uh, long, uh, a lifelong time of dealing with PTSD. Uh, maybe even thwarted her career path. I mean, there's a lot of accusations out there that. Unfortunately, I, I don't know that we can substantiate. It may have happened. I don't know. But there's a good group of people out there that say she said it, it happened. Oh, yeah? Because? Well, we're just taking one person's word for it. So it, so Brett Kavanaugh is a, appointed by uh, Donald Trump. Okay. Okay. Yes. Who is, uh, for, most, for, for our purposes, at least for my purposes, essentially a third-party president. He's a Republican. He basically ran against both Republicans and Democrats equally. And, and even until now in D.C., he's probably equally hated uh, amongst the rank and file uh, establishment Republicans, except now that they're starting to win. They're getting more and more toward his favor. So Brett Kavanaugh, until well, a few months ago, was unknown on the national scene. But he was not unknown to the judiciary. Uh, you know, he was a, he was a judge. He was not unknown to the American Bar Association, and they gave him a full or a full recommendation. No, I, I agree with that. I also saw that he was number one in his high school class, number one in his college class, number one in his law school class. So he is well respected. So so as, until a few months ago, there was no, um, as far as we know, nothing wrong with his personal life. Okay. He gets nominated to the Supreme Court and uh, goes through all the hearings. And then just before the, the 
uh, vote is about to happen, we get this letter from uh, Diane Feinstein that says that someone wrote her saying that Brett Kavanaugh did this horrible thing. Okay, it's not really true. The letter came months before the vote. Okay, yeah, that's right. So she had it in her possession, and then later presented it and said, "Look, I have this letter. What about this?" Yes. All right, let's stop there. All right, now let's go in a different direction. Let's rewind to 2016, and it is uh, Hillary Clinton won. Florida flipped to Hillary Clinton. Uh, Pennsylvania's flipped to Hillary Clinton. Uh, a lot of these states that went to uh, Donald Trump, who were uh, suspected of going or anticipated, according to the experts like Nate Silver and everybody in the media, was going to flip the election to Hillary Clinton. So Hillary Clinton wins. Let's see, we're in year two of Hillary Clinton's um, of Hillary Clinton's uh, presidency. She nominates Merrick Garland, who is the guy that was going to be nominated by Barack Obama, but the Senate refused to hear him. Uh, confirmation hearings for him because it was the last year of Obama's presidency and he was a lame duck. And they said that this Supreme Court pick is too important. It belongs to the next president. You're not going to get your Supreme Court pick. So Hillary Clinton wins. She goes, I'm going to write this wrong. I'm going to nominate Merrick Garland. Okay, Merrick Garland. It, I don't know who he is or anything, but let's assume that he has an unblemished past like Kavanaugh did up until these hearings. He proceeds all the way up to the hearings. They are about to vote on him. And then uh, Senator Grassley pulls from his possession uh, a letter that he says he got two months ago that says uh, this lady claims that uh, Senator Grassley assaulted her sexually in high school. Not Senator Grassley. I mean, not Senator Grassley. Merrick Garland mm -hmm. sexually harassed, sexually assaulted her in high school. Now, does that get the same play in the media that it got with Kavanaugh? Uh, that's tough. This is all speculation. Uh, what's your What's your gut say? Historically, Democrats have not fought as hard when these allegations come toward their own. In fact, Hillary Clinton suppressed three women's claims towards her husband, if mm -hmm. memory serves me correct. So would it get any play? Let's say let's just let's say that Grassley would do this. It, it, I'm not going to say that he would, but if he did it, let's just say let's assign him the same uh, whatever motivations as Diane Feinstein had, and he just goes ahead and does that. Do you think the New York Times would give one headline to this? Not the New York Times, no. no. Do you think the Washington Post would give one headline to this? No. Do you think CNN would give one headline to this? No. Do you think MSNBC would give one headline to this? They might give one. Okay. Do you think the Huffington Post would carry one article about this? No. Do you think that Chris Matthews would say anything about this? No. Do you think women would march on Washington about this? I'd hope that they would. Okay. I, I think that the answer to that is probably nothing would happen. And, and, and Grassley probably would never do that. But if he did, nothing would happen. So we have to go back to and say, what are the motivations for this? Is it truly about Brett Kavanaugh or is it what Brett Kavanaugh represents? And if that's the case that we're going to now decide people's guilt or innocence on something as uh, su significant as sexual assault, isn't that a, a bad reflection on the maturity and emotional stability of our political uh, leaders in Washington today and around the world? I personally think this shouldn't have been released in the news at all. Uh, now, definitely, uh, though, I think the investigation is, is probably warranted 
but I wouldn't. I I don't find it appropriate to release it into the news when we have no we have no idea the circumstances or what happened. So effectively, we destroyed two people, uh, one of which is probably telling the truth, um, and we don't know which one. And effectively, the other one who or the one that is uh, uh, being truthful is getting dragged through the mud uh, regardless of their innocence. Okay, so yeah, you're right. So it doesn't even matter which one's which. So one of them is going to be said to be a liar and one of them is going to be said to not be a liar if you're going to take that uh, approach that one's right and one's wrong. He said, she said. So let's go back to another thing. Okay, so that's the whole situation about what motivates this. I, I don't think a Republican would ever... Uh, if, if a Republican or, or if a Democrat nominee, I mean, was accused of this, this would have absolutely zero cover by the media. Well, you could just take current instances. I, I believe, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, Mr. Oh. Ellison. Yeah, Mr. Ellison. From, uh, yes. Minnesota. So what's happening maybe, to Mr. Ellison? Maybe one of the prime candidates to uh, run for president on the Democratic ticket Number in two of the DNC. 2020. Yes. And he is apparently, or accused, he's accused of beating his ex-girlfriend. Now, if you go onto MSNBC or CNN or, or Fox News or Vox, and you hit Control F on your internet browser, it's going to bring up a search button. It's going to say, find. And you type in there, Ellison uh, Abuse. And hit go and see how many, see how many, uh, see how many things turn up. And so what's all that to say is, you know who people out there believe one way or the other very vehemently but why do they believe that is it for anything having to do with the actual merits of it or is it more to do with what the media has manipulated them into believing i believe it's the latter well i think it's very possible i don't think we can diminish the fact that there are victims out there that haven't come forward and and definitely this is an issue and i side with these women and feel uh, bad towards them but the fact is uh, uh, of this particular case with Kavanaugh is that here we are. We've we've convicted a man without due process, and we've done it in the public eye. Um, and so I just I just don't find that appropriate. I mean, I, I think we could apply that to any any case uh, going forward. Then doing it in the public eye with out well, knowing all the details. It's not know, not appropriate. There is a, such a thing as mob rule, and if you were to if you were to look at what's gone on in the Capitol recently with the people going into the, the the Capitol and marching and protesting and all that, and banging on the doors of the Supreme Court, uh, that's essentially mob rule. And it's fine to be mob rule if you're going to be in the majority, because that means that you're always going to be protected. But there is absolutely very little chance that you're always going to be in the majority. So if you subject yourself to the mob rule uh, way of thinking and think that it's always going to turn out in your favor. I can tell you throughout history, there have been a lot of uh, tyrannical uh, administrations which have turned over by the same sword that they took to power. So very, very often a dictator gets taken out just the same way that they were taken out. Uh, they took the person out prior to them. Uh, if you look at something like Joseph Stalin, how many how many different purges did he have? And all that's to say is if you accept mob rule now, which is basically uh, the, the majority rules and or, or not even the majority, the, the loudest people rule. And if you're going to accept that, it may be OK for you for this time, but next time it may not be OK. So you may not always come down on the side of what is in favor of the mob.
Well, I think I think you're right. I mean, so your your question, the baseline, the basis of your real question is: Is this all politics? This particular case, taking all the facts out of the case, and who's wrong or who's right, taking it out and throwing it out the window with this all political ploy? Yeah, probably so. In which that is a terrible indictment of our political leaders. And here's the other thing about that before we move on is our political leaders today are in Washington, D.C., okay? And we look to them to be our leaders, so to speak, in our daily lives. If we were to look back historically at the role of the government, the federal government, uh, the federal government was meant to be largely ex dealing with external affairs. Uh, we have morphed into, and I say, uh, devolved into the area now where the federal government is not involved in external affairs only, which is what historically in the Constitution was supposed to be about, but is now involved in every little nuance of your life, so much so now that we are subjecting Supreme Court nominees to mob rule to determine whether they are fit to sit on the Supreme Court. Anyway, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Uh, talk about talking about that. Uh, other thing where I wanted to cover was this is in the NHS. This is from uh, this is from today, October fifth. No, it's from no three days ago, October fifth, twenty eighteen. GPs, which in, in the United Kingdom is like family doctors, general practitioners, to see groups, patients, and groups of fifteen. Uh, this is from Laura Donnelly, in Telegraph. Uh, patients will be expected to see their GPs in groups up to fifteen under plans being considered by the NHS. Doctors said group consultations should become. The quote default option offered by surgeries for many conditions uh, in an attempt to cope with the growing shortages of GPs uh, offered by surgeries. Uh, the scheme is expected to be included in the NHS 10-year plan. It says here, um, Dr. Fraser Burrell, a rheumatology consultant, uh, said that the schemes will allow initial consultations and in pharmacies. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Will allow for initial consultations and in pharmacies with one scheme for osteoporosis proving. 300% more efficient. So he was able to see 300% more patients by doing this. Patients with it seems like it'd be a lot more patients than that if you're taking one patient, you know, going from a traditional one-on-one -on -one visit to one to 15. I guess you still have to generate charts for them all. Uh, it, very, it could be. Um, that would be the hardest part of this, I think. Patients with erectile dysfunction have even signed up for one group session, for group sessions. Um, Rachel Power, chief executive of Patients Association, said said shared sessions might benefit some patients, but that people must not be denied the right to individual appointments. And this is all being done uh, because of uh, essentially lack of doctors in the NHS system being able to see patients. It is billed as an attempt to alleviate strain on family doctors, many of whom, many of whom complain of being overworked. Yeah, uh, there's some merit, I guess. I mean, how many times do you have the same conversation all day? I have the same conversations all day. Um, you talk about it. You mentioned erectile dysfunction. Sure, there's there's very few uh, ways to get it. You either have ar arterial insufficiency, uh, venous valvular insufficiency. You have uh, nerves that uh, don't fire to uh, trigger erections or psychological uh, problems or other medical problems leading to the failure of uh, erections. And so with that brief spiel, I've just educated 15 people. Now, do we examine 15 people? No, but it saved me having 15 conversations. Um, the treatment algorithm's fairly simple, whether you're going to do ultrasonography after uh, injecting a uh, pharmacological agent to in, uh, trigger an erection, or you're just going to do a little bit of trial and error, which is generally 
I think what happens where you start with your PDE5 inhibitors, uh, maybe try intercavernosal injection without prostadial or trimix before moving on to uh, penile pumps or IPPs. So yeah, could you uh, go a little bit quicker? Yeah. It's going to come down to a problem of reimbursement right now we're a fee for service and each person needs to have a doc you know a documented chart with exam and conversation and everything has to uh, be documented that way and if you were doing a, a 15 to 1 ratio i'm i'm sure the reimbursement would go down uh, further i think this is probably not hipaa compliant uh, so you'd have to just add an, another layer of paperwork to well, it says here, make a here. GP compliant. said patients were given forms telling them to respect confidentiality and told, quote, what's said in the room stays in the room. Don't just go discussing it with the postman and his dog. So the first time someone says something demeaning about someone in their group and it causes that person to have significant uh, social or career consequences, what's going to happen? Yeah. Some patients uh, reacted with horror. Josh Ro Joyce Robbins from Patient Concern said, this is a ghastly idea. GP appointments are supposed to be a private matter. We can openly talk about your most personal health issues. If you're discussing things in front of a group of strangers, you might as well tell the local town crier so they can shout it from the rooftops. And then someone said, GPs involved in the schemes said, I don't know why they keep calling the schemes, said they reduced the amount of time they spent repeating the same advice. So back to what you said. Yeah, maybe there is a... A benefit well, to this. I think there's some merit. I mean, when you go to a college classroom, you might have thousands of students listen to one professor and said that one professor given the lesson a thousand times. I remember when I was in residency, there was, and this is when I was 2006, and I was thinking of doing um, kind of entrepreneurial type um, medical care and a family medicine, um, traditional family medicine insurance-based practice. There was actually a doctor named Stephen Masley who was pioneering this group sessions back then. And what they would do is they would do exactly this. They would get groups of people together, say for diabetes. And I believed what they were trying to do is bill each one of them, 99214, for a group visit, and then uh, do exactly what you said to do and, and then peel off and treat them individually. But charge for that initial group session, like you get 10 people in a room, that's 10 times whatever your reimbursement is for 99213. This was back in 2006. I don't even know if that's sure. even allowed. I highly doubt it's allowed, but I, I don't know that. But the impetus for this is not to increase the, uh, to make uh, you more efficient. This is done, they said, because doctors are complaining of being overworked. Well, you might get, you could see 30 patients in two visit settings as opposed to 30 individual settings, right? If you have 15 a group. So yeah, there is some merit. I guess what you do is you bring 15 people in, you get your nurse in that room with you, and she goes around with the blood pressure cuff and takes everyone's blood pressure and takes everyone's pulse. And maybe while you're giving a lecture, they're, you're taking their weight, and now you're counseling these people on the risks and benefits of taking medicine for hypertension. I think the, the key thing is, is who is in charge? So if the patients choose to do this and the doctors choose to do this and they meet and they say this is an effective way to do things, then I think that's... A-okay. We're not in charge uh, because we don't set the uh, reimbursement scale. Once once uh, the, the patient is paying out of pocket and the reimburser is not a third party, well, then sure, we're in yeah. charge, but that's we're not in charge. But that, you're not in charge here, and they're not in charge in the HS either. So they're doing it not because of it's an, a good idea. So whether or not it's an actually something that would work is not being done because the patients or the doctors are choosing to do it is being done because the NHS is squeezed for uh, resources. And in this case, they're squeezed for either money and or doctors. Sure. 
Anyway, it's just something well, that's that, a national. I think that's that's pretty common in America too. I, I, I'm pretty sure we're short of family practice uh, doctors, and I know we're short of urologists. You know, one thing that they say that direct primary care and concierge medicine is bad for is because it reduces the available doctors. And um, J- Doctor Josh Umber has a great statistic, and he he takes a number of doctors uh, that are practicing primary care in the United States. Uh, and divides it by the number of patients, and it comes out to about an average DPC panel. It's just that we do things so inefficiently that, that, you know, there's like, for instance, yesterday, two days ago, I handled two things that would normally take uh, an office visit plus the patient taking their time out of their life to come in here and be seen. I took care of it over the phone. Actually took care of it by text message. And that's something that I'm allowed to do now because they're paying me uh, directly without insurance and I don't have to bill anything and I don't have to justify to anybody anything. And all I have to do is, you know, maintain a record like I, like I should, uh, if even if no one was uh, requesting reimbursement, if I'm just going to maintain a record that's helpful for me and the patient. Now, that's the kind of thing that you can do when you have a more free approach to doing primary care, for instance. I mean, there's some things that you'd never want to do by telemedicine, but there's some things, a lot of things in primary care that are easily handled by a physician who knows the patient. Oh, well, but back I, to that, I, I, I handle things like that all the time. I just don't bill for them because you there's no way to do it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Interesting. Uh, what do you think about the Florida Gators? They are now, oh, I don't even know what they're ranked now. I believe they're, they beat nine, number five nine, LSU. 19 maybe. Yeah, they beat. They were number twenty something. I think. Well, yeah, did. well, they beat number five LSU at home LSU. this weekend. Uh, yeah, after great. losing to Kentucky for the first time well, okay. in thirty five years. So Kentucky was undefeated till yesterday. Texas A M. Yes, yeah. which so, is great for us. Well, we needed them to have another loss because they own the tiebreaker in the East, right? Right. So we have to take care of business, and you got to beat Georgia, mm-hmm. and you got to hope that uh, Kentucky has another loss. What do you think about Nebraska situation? It's a bad situation. <sighs> wow, he says that because that's my uh, my. Home Alma away mater. from home, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't go there, but I grew oh, up there. That's right. Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and probably from no. The you time went I to was, Florida. I went. Yeah, I'm a gay. We both went to Florida and USF for med school, Florida for undergrad. But yes, you are that, that's by right. by a birth, I guess, a Husker. My parents went to the University of Nebraska, yeah. and um, they both went to law school there as well. And from age five to maybe sixteen, went to every home football and basketball game I could. I could uh, get my hand on tickets for, which is quite a few of them. And so that's that's my my team, other than the Gators. And uh, they're struggling. They haven't haven't won. They're having a max. But they're now passing. they're into last year's law, uh, losing streak carries forward to here. They're saying it's now what is it nine in a row or eight in a row? Oh boy, I, I don't know. It's, if it's nine in a row, but they're under. They haven't won a game this year. They haven't won a game this year. And mm. then last year they ended it on a losing streak. Yeah. So now Scott Frost is saying they're saying Scott Frost from Nebraska is on a eight game losing streak, but that un, I think unfairly cast yesterday's or last year's record onto Scott Frost, obviously because Scott Frost just got there. Yeah, this is this is tough. This, I mean, rules the NCAA has uh, for player transfer rules are making it tough. So they had um, two really good, tout, uh, highly touted quarterbacks going into the year. Game one, um, right before game one, they announce one guy as a starter. The other one uh, announces his departure the next day. So now their backup is a red shirt uh, walk-on. That's a good point. No, uh, and then, th- then uh, as things get rough, the playing time isn't what they want. These players now are transferring. They play four games. They don't get the play. They get up, up and transfer. Is is the transfer rule in the NCAA? 
tantamount to being a free agency in college football. Maybe. Uh, but, you know, the, the people on the player side are going to say, well, uh, if I was just a normal student at this school, I could transfer whenever I wanted and I could go to say I'm leaving Florida and I want to go to FSU next year. Well, I can do it. Or if I want to go next semester, I can sign up. I don't have to sit out. I can go. So why are the rules different? So doesn't it come down to, yes, being about being an athlete? And them having, uh, I guess, not signed a contract, but in a sense, signing a scholarship that says, I will do this. So we get, it gets down to this area about, you know, college athletes and college sports. And, you know, at some point, and it was coming to a head there a few years ago, then the, then I guess the lawsuit settled things down. But I mean, are we going to, are we going to ever come to the point where college sports is actually considered, uh, basically professional? In college sports is just a branch of professional football or professional sports in general. Well, we're only talking about a couple of sports: football, football, and basketball, right? Right. I mean, most most uh, yeah, most people most don't MLB guys track. Most MLB players don't come out of the college. I believe they come straight out of high school. <clears throat> um, you know what I heard when I was a fellow? This is what I asked because I was always wondering yeah. that because MLB is one of those special uh, sports where people can come out of high school. I guess basketball too. It happens, but not as much as MLB. And they come out of high school and play in the uh, play um, in the major leagues, and or they come from college and play. In yeah, major but they leagues. have they have a they have farm leagues. They have farm leagues. Yeah, they go into a farm league. And I asked the trainer there, Brian Camerata, who used to be with the Phillies, and I think he's in private practice now. He was a trainer in uh, in Clearwater when I was with the Phillies, and he said that uh, the difference is is the guys who come out of high school are phenoms. And so the guy that comes out of high school and makes it to the majors. Now, they don't make it. Obviously, not everybody makes it. But the ones that do come from high school and make it through the majors are phenoms. They're just phenoms. The ones that come from college are more likely to be make it to the majors. They're more likely to make it and have a lasting career, but are less likely to be as exceptional. So it's kind of like the uh, the uh, savant almost. So if you can make it from high school and go into the, in the majors, then you are like LeBron James in, in basketball. It's more likely you're going to be successful if you go through college and then you get drafted from college because you've proved your medal through college. But the ones that come from high school and are successful, he says, are are just better. Essentially, they're more talented. They're just exceptional. Sure. Which is interesting. But to answer your question, I don't know. I've, my feeling on NCAA is, listen, everyone applies to every school. There's no name on that application. You don't know who they are. They get into the school, and then they want to play sports. You try out for the team. Yeah, I think the NCAA has, has a problem with trying to maintain about being college athletics and trying to balance that with the fact that they are a multi million dollar enterprise oh, probably billion dollars billion yeah. yeah they are a huge cash enterprise and yet they will come back on some poor black kid from alabama who gets a trip somewhere paid for by some uh friend of the family and then now they're going to have to sit out games now because this happened when they were in high school and now it's a recruiting violation so things like that happen all the time so you take these i can't remember who it was but there's this Pot, truly poor black kid that was a high school uh, football player and he had to sit out a few games because it was found out that somewhere along the line someone paid for him to go somewhere and that was seen as unduly uh, uh, co- coercing him or, or convincing him to sign with this other team because that guy was a booster with some other team. So the, you, you balance the hypocrisy I think of the NCAA with that punishing this poor person 
with the fact that they are rolling in the cash. And this is essentially, uh, not to be uh, controversial, but indentured servitude or slavery in, in some respects, because they are actually making money off of the uh, work product of these children. Now you could say, well, they're, you know, they're getting scholarships. Education. They're getting scholarships. But is the scholarship worth as much as how much gen- revenue they generate on the whole per capita? And that's what the whole NCAA lawsuit was about. Yeah, but then then you get down to the fact that you're talking the players that actually make the make it big and make the money. The numbers are so small. You're talking about very few people. Um, you know, I don't know how you do this. I guess you have developmental leagues for these sports, but then these kids are not afforded the opportunity to go to college, and some of them probably make the most of it. And um, it's life changing, even I think if they don't play football for a career. One way I think that would be a. a okay way and and say okay i think i guess you call it ethically it depends on if you're completely taking this from a completely libertarian standpoint you'd say college players should be paid what they're worth free market value okay if you're gonna if you're gonna say well can't then we're not gonna have college sports anymore they're not amateurs i think one way is like deferred compensation so like let's say that and one of the things of your scholarship is you get to go to school for free that's part of your scholarship part of your scholarship also is this back end uh, retirement plan, essentially, that says once you like a trust, once you've hit thirty, then or whatever, pick a number, then you actually get these other benefits too. Because I, you're no longer an amateur. Yeah, and then then you can't say, well, you know, this player's throwing the game because they're going to get paid thirty years later, or, or not thirty years later, they're going to get paid twelve years later through their little uh, retirement compensation. I don't know. I think there's there's got to be a way That's to make reasonable. It the hardest part is going to be to decide. What each person's value is, right? Because linemen are probably some of the most valuable people on the field. Because your offense ain't going to happen without them, and right. and they don't demand the same salaries that the skill players do. And I think that's when you get down, and what this all boils down to, is denying the 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 reality of free markets. We we run in, we get we we put ourselves into such a uh, back ourselves into a corner. It doesn't matter if it's in sports. It doesn't matter if it's in medicine. It doesn't matter if it's in a pharmaceuticals it doesn't matter if it's uh, uh, Google search engines when you deny the free market and you deny the uh, the, the natural uh, inclination of people to trade for things that mean more value to them and create a market value that way then you always are going to run into problems and so so what happens if we pay these people what if we pay I these mean, athletes what's, I, I think what's going to happen if you said that then you say look then there's basically no more college sports these are That's not amateurs anymore they're, they're, it's going to be like the NFL and I don't watch the NFL, and I I've never I haven't watched what, the NFL in decades. Technically, what's going to be different, whether you pay them think, or not? I think they would care less potentially. I think it would take a little bit. Of, and this is and this is like this is not a ethical. I'm just saying this as a sports fan. I think if players were paid, let's say Florida paid their players twenty thousand dollars a year, or whatever they pay them. What if it's going to go two hundred thousand? Who you are? Yeah, yeah. Let's say that. I think there's more likely than the the college players will play the same way the professional players do, which is if we lose this game, who cares? I'm paid already. I'm a millionaire. And they're not going to have as much money, obviously. But I think there's – the reason that I think college sports or college football in particular is head and shoulders above NFL is because of the pageantry, the spirit, uh, the the feeling of the college player as opposed to the NFL player. Now, there's people out there that love the NFL. And the, but I'm from my standpoint, to me, college atmosphere is – a different level of, I call it spirit, uh, pageantry, everything. And I think if you started paying college players, 
And that would diminish a little bit. But maybe you say, well, what, I mean, what are you going to do? Make them be slaves? I mean, what's the, what's the option? So I think Steve Spurrier is in favor of paying players. Uh, I, I'm not against paying them. I just, it's hard to call them. Slaves. No. <laughs> uh, student athletes. It, I still think if you don't get into the school under the school right. standards, your athletes would be fine. Um I don't, I don't have a good answer. Well, for so this. yeah. So then you get to the point of maybe it's like a Tim Tebow situation when he was in high school, Tim Tebow played with the local high school, did not attend school there. Right. You know, well, he's homeschooled. He was homeschooled, but yeah. in, in Florida, you have the right to try out for the team. Sure. Even though you're not a quote student there. Okay. So he played when he played in high school football and was, was a great star. He never went to school at the school he played for. That's, you know, back to your point about the student athlete that because, yeah, you're, you're right. You'll get students that can graduate from a university who are no smarter when they went in uh, than when they came out. And who, if they graduated with a fraudulent uh, public education degree, which is often the case, it can barely put together a sentence. And so is it is it morally ethical? Is it ethical to let a, a student graduate from a four year university? Still not still being functionally illiterate. Is that okay? Just so long as we can make a few million off them on the way. Well, you can take that right down the line. Uh, I mean, how how many kids get socially graduated in grade school? Yeah. And for whose benefit? So who benefits from that? Does the student benefit from that? Sure. I guess because you didn't make them study and whatever. But then they pay for it. They pay for it with their life. Pay for it with a a terrible life. Unless they are one of the lucky ones that make a million dollars multi-million dollars but even them they'll end up a lot of times back in the same poor neighborhoods they came up came from but guess who got rich along the way espn cbs people in ncaa so back to the point of those who say well, also, uh, it's slavery i will i'm gonna go fall short of using that term uh yeah. but uh the university the academic uh budget does include a lot of football uh, basketball dollars at some schools. Uh, so I, there is some benefit to the students that attend that university because I'm pretty sure a lot of the budget comes from dollars oh, yeah. generated by those two uh, teams. Oh, absolutely. When I was at UF, there was a course that actually Dr. Uh, what was his name? John Lombardo. Was that his name? The president? President. Yeah. yeah. Lombardi. He, Lombardi. Lombardi. And uh, it was actually after he uh, was infamously uh, asked to leave after his uh, Oreo comment about one of the Board of Regents uh, personnel. He probably doesn't even appreciate me bringing that back up. But anyway, after he was left the presidency, but he was still on staff as a faculty, he taught a college course. And that college course was about um, professional, I mean, it's professional sports, collegiate sports. And in that collegiate sports course, he taught about how collegiate sports does definitely enhance both the visibility and academic quality of the institution if they're successful. And it's it's a indirect relationship, but it does enhance it. It does. For sure. It does. You're watching TV. How many beautiful shots of the University of Florida campus did you see during the game the other day? Exactly. Right. Or how many times have you seen the commercial that says "Go Gators, Go mm-hmm. Gators" over and over again? Right. Mm-hmm. We've seen that one. Sure, they get notoriety. I mean, there's some benefit to it. You know, I don't know. These are so big, so far we don't know how to answer. Uh, accusations about sexual uh, and here's the other thing Go, well i think we all know how to answer i just don't think we want us to take, take dramatic or dramatic you, sides uh you want to you want to know ridicule. you, you want to know what my my gut instinct says about brett kavanaugh sure the go. whole thing is this is this is how it's sold this is how if you were to pick say the establishment in washington 
whoever's heads the establishment in Washington, the political establishment, and whoever heads the political or the the media establishment, this is what I want their take home message to be. Uh, do you believe Brett Kavanaugh? And then they say, well, I say, wait, don't worry about that. Are you pro-abortion or, or, or against abortion? Are you pro-gun control or are you against gun control? Are you pro-whatever, um, pick left or right uh, law? And then based on that, based on that, that's how you decide if this guy is truly innocent or truly guilty. That is, I think, what they're... I, I've, see, I've seen things like this with the late night host going on the street and saying that... Maybe a Democrat's policy said this, this, and this. And you, do you agree? And they'd be like, "Yeah, that's great, it's great." And then they'd reveal that really this yes. is the yes. opposite party's can you believe, mantra. Can you, you know? can you believe what Donald Trump did? He did this, this, and this, and this. Oh, what a piece of crap! That was actually Barack Obama's policy. Yeah, you got it. That you kind know? of thing. And I think that's what it is. And I think that's very dangerous and seditious. And I think that is going to lead to the ultimate moral complete uh, com- continued moral decline. But the good thing is, is all those things that you see on TV, uh, and, and especially about race, race is a big thing with the media. They love talking about race. We haven't heard from racist statues in a long time. I'm waiting for that to come back up. But racist statues, uh, racist people, blah, blah. You know, very few. There's pockets of racism in the United States. There's pockets of it. But the degree to what racism exists in the world, in the United States at least, you will be glad to know is very little compared to what is promoted on TV. The media would have you believe that you cannot walk down the street and and not be either a victim or a purveyor of racism. And that I'm glad to tell you is not the case. If you don't believe it, go out into your neighborhood right now. I I do have some friends that do tell me though, if you are of African American heritage and you have a son, you do have a talk with them about how to, how to talk to police officers and that you will be pulled over some and um i'm sure it happens oh, it's just not, i just don't think it's everybody well you know it's, it's back to what walter williams says walter williams says and he's black economist he says you know is there is there racism in the united states is there racism in the sure. world today absolutely well there probably always be people who judge people based uh, upon their appearance rather than who they are absolutely and the question is, is that how much of that are you going to a allow allow you to uh, uh, to hold you back, and b how much of your own uh, productivity or lack thereof are you there going to be able to to blame on that? Okay, so here I am. I'm uh, half white, so to speak, and half Filipino. I remember you had a show a few weeks ago where you couldn't figure out whether you were Asian or not. Yeah. So yeah. So what am I now? Now. Now, if I was so inclined, I could be an aggrieved party because I am not completely white. Yeah, but you're not and, really an underrepresented, considered an underrepresented minority, though, right? I don't know. I never even looked into it. I don't think so. No, no, that's only uh, special special classes. But back to the point is, what Walter Williams says is, you have to say, how much of it, therefore, can be based on that? And then, therefore, is that going to be your rallying cry? So if you go talk to Al Sharpton and say, how much of a failure of a, a specific person could be blamed on uh, racism, he's going to say 100%. Now, if you go ask somebody who maybe grew up through actual racism, like Walter Williams, who was actually treated in an inferior way, unlike today, through le- through law, by law, he was he was given inferior uh, uh, he was given inferior assignments, given inferior in the in the military and everything else. He actually suffered through racism and was still able to persevere and then become excellent. So, if you were to ask him, you know. Did racism get the better of you? He'd say no. 
And say, you say, well, did racism then not exist when you were alive? He'd say, no, it existed, actually existed in greater, uh, great, in greater uh, measure than it does today. Well, maybe we should look at sports. It seems to me when you watch sports, there's people of all colors on sports teams. And uh, that th- doesn't seem to bother anybody, right? And that's what I'm back to my point is if you go into your neighborhoods, it is not like the way the media says it. And I guess the take on from message from this is that the media is a rapist. The media is evil. The media is all these things that you want them to believe that other people are. The media are the ones that come up with this. They are the narrative makers. They are the ones that want to divide. Not everybody. Not like the local media reporter. I'm talking about the media establishment. The 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 the, the way that people are 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 treated as uh, uh, basically pawns, political pawns by media and powerful uh, people and political power or whatever. They are the ones who are the, the ones who are seeking to divide. And then they are the ones that are emotionally the ones that are, are causing, I think, a great deal of disservice. Well, I'll agree there. I do think that the media is, mm-hmm. is going to uh, trying to divide people. Uh, it's kind of like a divide and conquer and uh, to fraction eight people and then uh, draw them to your cause. But uh, I do think probably racism is still present and felt by many individuals. I Absolutely. just don't think it's everybody. Racism is always going to be present, mm-hmm. not even in America. Uh, I think if you look back in history, racism has existed in recorded history. Uh, in Africa, we have a patient actually who's Jamaican. You know what she said? You know where racism is really bad? Where's that? In Jamaica. And guess who it's bad from? Well, I can. I would say they're predominantly African American or African Jamaican in Jamaica. So they're so blacks they're, against blacks. There, racist okay. against each other. Really? Yeah, because of the skin color. So some of those Jamaican uh, people were uh, are now. The, some of the Jamaican people who are now in power there, rich and whatever, have some white blood in them, and you can tell because they're a little bit lighter. And they are actually the ones who are racist against other blacks. I mean, this is not all Jamaicans. I'm not trying to make it a indictment. I'm just saying this is the this is the this is the reality of life. And, and the question is: Is now are Jamaicans going to now uh, just give up and and just vote party line for one party who claims that they're going to be the hero of race? You know who's going to you know who's going to be the hero of racism, uh, overcoming racism? You know which party is? Neither party. Individuals will. Individuals will. Individuals who find it morally repugnant. They will. Individuals who stand up and say, you know what, a person should not be based, uh, judged positive or uh, negatively based on their color of their skin. Uh, if you find racism today, uh, racism today is, is equal amongst people who say uh, this person is bad because of their skin color or they're great because of their skin color or their sex or who they have sex with. This way that we ascribe uh, virtue based upon superficialities is the real poverty of uh, intellectualism in today's I would call it political environment, you know? So if I come out and I say, look, guess what I am? Okay. I am and then this is the media. I am pro-abortion. I'm gay. I am of color and I have something else. I am ascribed virtue automatically. Now I could be a complete piece of crap in my life. I could be a wife beater. I could be a philanderer. I could be any number of things, a rapist. But if I identify as those things as I'm vegan through vegan in there, I'm a vegan uh, anti uh, vegan, pro abortion, gay person of color, you will be ascribed virtue based upon those things alone. So that's that's the thing is, 
that's the true moral dilemma we have is allowing our children, allowing people that we love to be sucked into this uh, kind of, uh, I call it a uh, paranoia almost. Well, we're always scared of the unknown. I don't know. I don't think you and I will fix it today. And we didn't fix anything, but we did <laughs> inform you. And uh, if we are glad you joined us, if you want to learn more about the Dr. Tommy show, go to Dr. Tommy, Tommy show.com. And if you want to uh, meet Mr. or Dr. Beefy, uh, You got it. And he is operating and seeing patients in Brooksville and Hudson and which is a very short distance from Tampa. And I'm here in Tampa, Florida at uh, Echelon Health. And you're welcome to come see us and go to drdoctortommy.com if you want to hear about our um, or, or see our clinic. And today's song of the week is Fade to Black from Metallica. And until next time, bye-bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.